Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. Today we're going to be talking about communication. Now, everybody, you all know, I know that communication is a critical skill. And when I ask most senior executives what it is that separates the best leaders from the rest, almost always they say communication. So it's hugely important. But if you like, and if you're like most people that I interact with, you've probably gotten feedback somewhere along the line about improving something about your communication skills, whether that's public speaking or authenticity or ask listening or asking questions, a whole bunch of stuff that we wrap into this package called communication skills. Well, today I want to address two core questions. The first one is what's really the secret ingredient that increases communication, uh, the effectiveness of communication? And then second, how do you get better at communication even if you shy away from public speaking? Um, And that second part, stay tuned because I think we'll surprise you with the answer. So these tactics that we're going to talk about apply one-to-one, they apply in a small meeting, they apply with clients, they apply in a large group setting, and they apply on a public stage. So pick any one of those mediums that apply to you at the moment and think about how this will work in your life. So with me today is Ryan Schacht. Ryan is a communications consultant. He's based in New York, and he's the co-founder of GSB Comms US. Now, Ryan's focus is really about inspiring leaders and employees to develop their own leadership abilities and their authentic communication styles. And he happens to believe that when you do that, you can help teams and leaders grow revenue, increase performance, build relationships, and be better leaders all the way around. Now, Ryan hasn't been a communications coach forever. He spent 14 years in investment banking and professional services in a variety of roles. So he's an accredited executive coach. He's worked with um, senior leaders at some of the highest levels at Fortune 500 companies. And he's a certified financial risk manager to boot from his former life. So Ryan, welcome to the show. Hi, Wanda. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm glad to have you. I'm looking forward to it. All right, so I just have to start with a question straight out. What is a secret ingredient to great communication regardless of the setting? The secret ingredient to great communication. I, I love the question. And I think if I were to make an argument on the answer to that, it wouldn't be always what you might think at first. And it's not necessarily about the output or the speaking side of communication. Actually, it's about building trust and really starting to understand who we're speaking to, whether it's one-on-one or a group or an individual. How can we build trust with our audience and really start to understand them? And a critical part of understanding somebody is our ability to really listen. And most of us weren't really taught how to do that, Wanda, from, at least for me, throughout the course of my education, even early in my career, nobody really taught me how to do that. And so it would be those two things to me, listening and building trust, because before I can really start to understand you, I need to, I need to establish a foundation of trust. 
Okay, so most people, when they go for a communications course or they get advice from your average communications coach, they're going to get some words about crafting your message and, you know, being succinct or having your opening line. But you start in a different place. Why? Why trust and listening? Well, I like to use the analogy of of a doctor and a patient. Imagine that you go to see a doctor for the first time and you're going to get some help on something. You're waiting for the doctor in the, in the waiting room, in one of his rooms, and you're sitting there, and then he walks in the door, and he offers you a bottle of pills and says, here, you know what? I've been taking these for a few weeks, and I'd love for you to take them too. They work great. Now, how would that go over for you, Wanda, if you had never met that doctor before and this was their approach? I would be out of there in a heartbeat, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you'd, you'd walk right out of there, and yet the tendency in... In the world where I, can't, where I come from, which can be banking, consulting, I like to pick on bankers and consultants a lot because I was in that world, is there's a tendency to prescribe before we've actually diagnosed the problem. Yet, how can I actually offer you a solution or give you my message or my insights, whatever they might be, unless I first understand you and your world? Because I can't have an effective, uh, I can't offer you an effective solution unless I first understand what matters to you. So at foundational, foundational when it comes to effective communication is understanding our audiences, who's on the other side, what matters okay. to them, what's, what does their world look like, what are their pains, what, is, um, what does heaven look like to them? And really everything in between those two things is their world, is their life. And when we can speak to that is we're really when we're when we can engage our audience. But again, it, it starts with me understanding you and your world. I'm going to ask you why in a minute, but it's funny you describe this as pain to heaven, and I have just written this whole piece where I have said. One of the ways to build credibility as a leader, to get people wanting to follow you as a leader, is to figure out what the point of pain is for the team that you're leading and help them begin to solve that point of pain. And you just said the same thing. You know, understand what it is that people are really looking for. Okay. So, yeah, Yeah, that's important. Right. When, When we can understand somebody's pain and what really matters to them, and even at an emotional level, that's what we're. So we're digging into the, the parts that, that really make us tick and drive a lot of the decisions that we make. But, you know, so often in business, again, we, we jump right to offering solutions. And, um, and often that doesn't, that doesn't lead anywhere because we haven't, we haven't established the foundation. All right. I know we're talking about communication, but it sounds like sales strategy to me. This notion that walking in, I'm going to convince my client that they want to work with me, they want to buy from me, whether it's a product or a service or my opinion, and I haven't listened to them. I've just said, here, let me tell you what you need. Um, That doesn't always go so well, but we're not here to talk about sales. I want to talk about communication. So let's go back to this notion of trust. How do you go about building trust? What's your, how, how do I do this with an audience? You said, I need to know what's pain, what's heaven for them, what really matters to them, because it's only then that I can engage the audience. Okay, how? Sure. Okay, so let's break down what trust is. And so when I think of trust, it has three fundamental components. We have competence or credibility. So if we're going to do business or work together, I need to know that you're an expert in your field, or at least that you're competent and you know how to do your job well. Next would be character. 
and character would be, I need to know that you're going to answer my phone calls, you're going to get back to me, you're going to answer my emails, you're going to do what you say you're going to do. And if I share with you some pain points or secrets about my world and my business, I need to trust that you're not going to go to the bar tonight and tell your friends and tell your colleagues all about my secrets. So I need to trust that. And then there's a third component, Wanda, which is, to me, the most interesting one. And it's, it, the word is used a lot in dating, and it's chemistry. Have you, ever, have you ever met somebody, and for some reason you just go, yep, I like this person. Not sure why, but I like them. Something feels right mm-hmm. about them. And that is a really fundamental component of building trust. How, how do we actually feel about somebody? And so what I would argue is when we're having that chemistry, there's this thing called rapport happening. We have this, this rapport exists between us. And, and often with rapport is we both feel like we're safe. We both feel pretty comfortable in, our, in wherever we're at in this conversation. And we feel understood. And so how can I really start to understand you? And that's where if you're willing to, to share with me or open up to me, that I can start listening to you. Like really listening, and so I would say it, it, there's a, there's a there's an interchange between trust and listening. The more you're willing to share with me, and the more I'm willing to actually listen to you or, or able to listen to you, the more I'm establishing that trust and that foundation. I probably sound like a broken record here. That's okay. It's an important piece. I think um, we all feel like, we all know that trust is a really important equation, but I don't think we ever stop to really unpack what is it that creates that trust and how do I seed it and how do I grow it and how do I develop it? And equally, I think about listening, we all say, yeah, I need to listen. And then we do an absolutely horrible job of doing it. So let's go back to this. You said that there's, you said the competence and credibility, that's the expertise. I can do that with my resume or with my reputations or with what people have said about me. There's the character that I'm basically going to do what I say I'm going to do. And then I'm going to hold your confidences. I'm not going to go say things I shouldn't be saying in the bar or to your competitors. And then there's this chemistry thing, which I think everybody recognizes and there's this rapport and that there's the, you're right there's this moment that's created that you feel sort of safe in telling somebody a bit about yourself beginning to open up now some of that chemistry i would argue there are people who manufacture it and don't mean it so the character isn't there we might argue yeah okay and i would say I would that also and integrity yeah, so we, we need integrity with that one. But also rapport is so easily established with people who are just like me, with which we have a lot in common, and not so easily established and we don't have so much in common. So what's your advice for beginning this rapport? Yeah, and so I, I, would, I would go back again to integrity, right? So if we think about listening, because where I can start to establish rapport with you is really when I can start to understand you and I have to be genuinely interested in you. And when Mm -hmm. I work with clients and we do workshops together, I often say, look, one of the biggest parts of this, I can't teach you. And that is that you have to be genuinely interested in the other person in their world and more interested than, than you are in yourself. And that's challenging for all of us because we, we operate from, from the me place. And we survive from the place of me. But when 
it comes to connecting with you, I have to be genuinely interested in you and your world more than I am in mine in, in this moment and for this relationship. And, and that, and that is the starting point. Cause if that doesn't exist, whatever techniques or strategies we talk about, they, they don't really work because they don't have the integrity that you said before. We pick up on that right away. So it has to start with being genuinely interested in them. And then if we have that, then while well, we start going into listening and, and when I think of uh, listening, Wanda, there's, there's kind of two ways that you, can, that you can look at listening, right? So if we looked it up in the dictionary, what is listening? What, what would you say listening is if you looked it up in the dictionary, generally speaking, if I were to ask you that? Um, generally speaking, it's um, hearing what you've said. Yeah, right, exactly. Taking the words that you say and absorbing those messages absorbing those words, so the content, so absorbing the actual content of what you're saying. And that's really important when I need to understand you and your world. And, and, that, and again, important, but that's not the only side of listening. And a lot of us think that that's the main part of listening that we need to do properly. And it's not just that. That actually, when it comes to listening, there's a deeper form of listening. And a lot of us heard of this word before, and maybe we know what it is and maybe not, but that the deeper form of listening is empathetic listening or listening for actually the feelings or what else is actually going on beneath the surface, beneath the content of what's actually being said. Because when, when we can connect with that or when somebody else can connect to us and recognize the feelings underneath what we're saying or what else might be happening, uh, we, we reach some sort of a magical place where that trust starts to go deeper right? That trust starts to happen when we can start to identify what else might be going on here with what this person's saying beyond their words. Does that, does that make sense? Of course it makes sense. We've had a number of um, guests on that have talked about conflict, particularly conflict when we absolutely totally hate each other. Um, completely opposite sides of the world and completely disinterested views or other guests talking about collaboration and the secret to, to each of those really lies in exactly what you're saying, my ability to understand where the other side is coming from, even if I adamantly disagree with it, but to be able to understand it. Yeah. Yeah, completely. I, I um, When I talk about tough conversations with clients or difficult situations, especially where tension is high, um, our ability to actually acknowledge the other person or where they might be coming from is huge, right? That's like step, that's like 101 of emotional intelligence. What else is going on here? And can I acknowledge that? Because we all want to be heard. And when we can acknowledge what's happening on the other side is where we can start to reduce some of that tension. Yeah, it's interesting. You said we all want to be underst- I mean, heard, and I say we all want to be understood, Because I think the magic ingredient about listening is actually leaving the other person feeling that you have understood. Do you agree with me? Yeah, absolutely. The deeper feelings. And and I think it's helpful, Wanda, when we're talking about, you know, great listening skills or how to be a better listener and connect deeper with our audience, that it's, it's helpful to identify what is not good listening or what is the bad of listening. Okay. And if I may, I'd like to point out my favorite ones on that. Would that be all right? Sure. Okay. So 
we, again, because neuroscience says that we spend 80% of our time thinking about ourselves, we can't help but always be listening, waiting to speak. That's what a lot of conversations are. If you were to watch two people speaking with one another, especially in the corporate world, it's, it's one person waiting to interject or find that space where they can jump in and now talk about themselves or their world or their business or all the great things that they do. And that's what a lot of conversations are. So with that can come hijacking. I think we've all met hijackers before where they just can't wait to share their story. And now the conversation is no longer about us, but it's about them. There's also a tendency to, to jump in and start consulting or advising. Have you ever spoken to somebody, Wanda, and before maybe they ask you about your world, before you're even 50% of explaining what's happening in your world, they're giving you advice? Has that ever happened to you? Oh, yeah. I'm afraid I do it, too. It's one of my Achilles heels here on occasion. But yes, of course. Yes. Yeah, we, we all do it, right? And, and when it comes to some of the, some of the quote-unquote bad habits, it doesn't mean we're not bad people, of course. We're, we have a lot to share, and we may genuinely really want to help people. Of course, and that's, yeah. that, that's yeah. critical. But the risk is that when we're, when we're listening with the intent to speak or we're listening with the intent to go on our own agenda, that it's no longer about the other person. And when the other really wants to be understood, it's about them and them bringing us on their journey and wherever they want to go. And so how can we do that? Well, mm-hmm. I think one other good one that I like to bring up in terms of the bad, and especially with the millennial generation, it's really every generation at this point, but especially younger audiences, is our phones, and how much a phone can actually create a, a disruption or, or, or sever that connection between two people when, when an, an intimate or a deeper conversation is happening. And, um, and again, we're all guilty of it because I, myself included, I'm addicted to my phone, but studies show that when you have the phone in the room or when you sit down with somebody and you, and you start to speak with them and you put your phone between yourself and them, you're, well, what, what, to you, Wanda, if I, if you and I sat down and I put the my phone between the two of us, what message might I be sending you either consciously or, or unconsciously? I have only part of your attention. Exactly. And if something happens on my phone, you quickly become number two. And yet the etiquette becomes, let me flip my phone upside down on the table because that's, that's okay. And while yeah. that may be a little bit better, the phone's still there. So I'd like to say, create the space where you can actually have this authentic connection or conversation and, and remove the phone. Put it in your purse or your pocket or leave it at your desk. So that if mm-hmm. I do that, now we have a space where I can keep my attention on you. Mm-hmm. We have... We have short attention spans, and the attention spans mm-hmm. are getting shorter in our world, and it's one, of the, it's one of our obstacles as communicators is keeping somebody's attention and including our own when we're trying to focus on somebody. Okay. okay. So if we do that effectively, well, now how can I actually start to do the good or some of the good habits? And, and I mean, I'll do workshops on this for hours with, with groups, and we dive into these skills and we work on these through role-playing. We really get into it. But at a high level, if I were to just say a couple key tips for how to be a great listener, is one is practicing silence, right? Encouraging warm silence to let the other person speak. Another would be uh, 
we've heard it called called active listening, and I'm skeptical of that term sometimes because people think active listening. Let me just sit there and nod my head and go, mm-hmm, yep. And it is important that we let the speaker know that we're tuned into them because if you and I are speaking, Wanda, face to face, and I'm looking out the window, it's really hard for you to tell that I'm tuned into you. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, I agree, absolutely. So that would be a starting foundation. And then, well, we could start to go deeper. And that would be actually where we could maybe start to move into, into some empathizing. And, and what is empathizing? Well, Stephen Covey, who wrote the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which is a great book, but not a great title, in my opinion. He, um, he says empathy is, you, if, you, if I were to borrow your glasses, if I were to put your glasses on and say, wow, you know, this is what it's like to look through Wanda's eyes or to see what it's like to look through your world, to see what, to feel what you might be feeling and not to judge you, not to feel happy for you or sad for you, just to really see what it's like to look through your eyes and look through your world. Um, And then if I can do that, then I can start to maybe identify what else is going on in terms of what you might be feeling or what's happening in your world. And Richard, Garnett, who is the founder of the group that I work with, who are based in London, GSB Comms, Richard Garnett, he likes to say the quicker that you and I in a conversation can go from a head-to-head space where we're absorbing each other's content to a space where we're gut-to-gut, where we're actually feeling together in an emotional place, the more that trust is going to happen, the more that we're going to establish a deeper relationship. Um, because that is... Again, I would argue what we all want is more empathy. We want more people to understand what's going for going on for us beneath the surface. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, do you have any exercises that you can advise people to practice in their day to day life that actually will improve their listening skills? And I get your point that it's both uh, just a silence, stopping silence, putting phones away, that's a thing, and then trying to hear what's beneath the surface, seeing what the other person is seeing and feeling, whether you agree or not. But do you have exercises? Okay. Exercises, I mean, the, the, the basic exercises I would recommend is in, in our day-to-day, can I, um, and this may be speaking to a family member a brother, a coworker, uh, it could be a stranger, but can I actually practice really listening to somebody without interjecting or jumping into my story? So can I be aware of my own tendency to want to jump in? Can I really just listen and encourage somebody to go on? So and that's, that would be, that would be one exercise. Um, that we, you could practice all the time. You don't have you don't have to wait for the big moments with our big clients um, to practice these skills. We can we can do them all the time. Another day to day kind of awareness practice. Again, in conversation, when it comes to empathy or, or empathizing, is is constantly asking myself, what what is it like to be in their shoes right now? What what's happening in their shoes? What is it like to feel what they might be feeling? And in a conversation, I might recognize that and say, oh, well, you know, that, that might have felt like blank. And, and, and you could even caveat it. So, you know, I might be wrong here, but it feels like that might have been really exciting or, or really devastating or whatever the words might be. It's, a, it's one way that we can start to flex that muscle of empathy, right? And it's a, and it's a simple way to do it, but it's a, it's a muscle that we can start to work. 
and we can work mm-hmm. it in our day-to-day conversations. Now, of okay. course, I'll plug my own workshops on this because we do, we do half-day, full-day workshops on building trust and listening alone with, with teams. And it can be some of the most profound insights that we've ever, that, that, that groups have, have ever come across when it comes to effective communication. But it's often not covered in, in uh, it's not covered with, with sufficient depth in the communications training world, from, at least from what I've, what I've found. Uh, and it's a topic, if you can't already tell, that I'm extremely passionate about. Right. Right. Well, it is, I mean, I think it's true, this listening and the trust that comes with it and the ability to understand where somebody else is coming from. Again, even if I would have a different reaction, but to understand what that other person is feeling is such a cornerstone for everything we talk about. It's a cornerstone for great teams. It's a cornerstone for innovation. It's a cornerstone for collaboration. It's a cornerstone for resolving conflict. And it's a cornerstone for getting my message across and knowing what it is that's relevant to say. So it's um, such a huge thing. And it is fascinating that we all believe we can just naturally, instinctively do it. Yeah, I think it, yeah, it's Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, that, that has said and believes that at the heart of great innovation is empathy, our ability to put ourselves in our customer's shoes and really experience what it's like in their world. And if we can really do that effectively, then wow, that's where real insights come to life and real sparks of creativity. What, what you just said, Wanda, exactly. Right. It's interesting. So, Well, we could go off on a topic on that one for sure. So I just have to ask, we're going to take a break in just a few minutes, but... Um, you were a financial consult, or not a consultant, but a risk manager. What got you interested in communications, and why do you care so much about this now? Yeah, well, 15 years ago, I was a bit of an awkward communicator, and speaking in front of groups and even connecting one-on-one with really important people, because I, I grew up in a, in a kind of a hardcore industry, in investment banking, on a bond trading floor at Barclays Investment Banking, credit derivatives. And it was an intense place to learn the ropes of not only finance, but communication skills. And so um, in that world, which can be pretty hardcore and cutthroat, you need to be able to communicate effectively and with confidence and with, and, and with authenticity, of course, as well. And so what originally inspired me to, to get into this work was... I guess, a deep longing to, to, to connect more in the world. Um, and I can identify with, with individuals or groups, but particularly individuals who maybe struggle to, to connect. And they, everybody has a message or, or an insight that they want to share with the world, but how can you take those insights and actually connect them with the audiences that, that need to hear your message, whether it's a client or it's a group of clients that need to hear about your product or your service or your vision. And, um, yeah, for me, it was about getting better at these very basic skills that are just critical when it comes to, to success. And, and when I became a risk manager after the credit crisis, I found that um, risk managers have a very unique role in the world. They often act as a bridge between really smart uh, technical people that can get really deep in the weeds or deep in the matrix of, of innovation and um, concepts and formulas, 
but then they also need to be a bridge to the people on the other side who, who maybe don't understand that the complex jargon, who aren't the subject matter experts. But to be an effective risk manager, uh, you have to bridge those two worlds. And so how do you do that? Well, you do it with effective communication. Um, and so I found that even though some of this stuff was not natural for me initially, that it absolutely can be learned if you want to learn it. And a part of that is working with the right people and the right influences. And, and, uh, and I guess, Wanda, at the heart of it, I think if we all connected a bit more, if we empathized more, if we knew how to connect our message to the world more, not only would our businesses be performing better and making increased revenue, but I do believe, I believe the world would be a better place. And I think um, connection is really at the heart of that, and I care a lot about that. Great. I love that. So if I just summarize this in 30 seconds, hopefully, that the secret to really great communication is ultimately about listening, really understanding where that other person is coming from, what they're seeing in their world, what they're feeling in their world, and not jumping to my own agenda, my own thoughts, my own feelings, my own message, my own content, but understanding that because that's where I create the connection. That's where I build the rapport. That's where I build the trust. And it's only out of building that kind of connection and trust that I can even begin to get people to listen to the message that I have to deliver. Is that a fair summary? I think that's a great summary. And I love your analogy that you started with. It's like if you go to a medical doctor for the first time as a patient and expecting that the medical doctor is going to listen to your concerns and complaints and offer some tailored advice to you for your complaints, they can't just come out and say, here are the pills, take these, I don't want to talk to you or understand what's going on with you. So that's a pretty good analogy as far as I'm coming to it. All right, Ryan, we're going to take a break. Yeah. Um, with me today is Ryan Schacht. Ryan is a communications consultant in New York City, and he's the co-founder of GSB Comms US. And as you can tell, his passion is ultimately about authentic communication style, leadership capability, top team performance, and growing revenue, increasing in performance, all of which comes through this notion of listening and connecting and building trust. Now, when we come back, I want to pick up on something Ryan just teased at for a minute, which is that he didn't start out as a particularly effective communications person, a bit awkward. And I want to talk when we come back about how do people who are not so comfortable in this get better at it. We'll be right back. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network if you want more information on the articles books coaching and seminars we offer go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com you're sure to find some helpful links videos and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization leadership forum inc helping organizations get it and keep it How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business, and the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Kless. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel, and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Leading outside of your comfort zone is a delicate balance. You need new skills and new ways of working. To reach the program today, send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. That's wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Ryan Shad. He's a communications consultant in New York and co-founder of GSB Comms US. Now, Ryan, I want to talk about introverts, but I just have to ask one quick question. Typically, when I talk with a communications consultant, they spend a lot of time talking about making sure you know what your opening line is and what's your core point and your message and what's your evidence behind that and what's your closing line and what's your delivery. You haven't talked about that. You've talked about listening and building trust. So do you get to yeah. this other stuff? Absolutely, Wanda. We, we spend a lot of time there at GSP Comms. Um, but first, we talk about the foundation of building that trust and really understanding the other's world. And then we can move into what we call the, the other side of the house, communi- house of communications is where we move into the more what we might call, quote-unquote, selling. And when we're selling, of course, we're delivering a message that is content that is highly relevant to our audience. And how can we find content that is highly relevant to our audience? Well, we get there by listening and really understanding them. And not only do we deliver a message that is highly concise uh, and relevant, rather, but it speaks to our audience's brain in a way that they can see it, that they really get it, and that they can feel it. So a really important part of that is the impact of not just what we're saying, but how we're saying it. And so much goes into that, and I'm sure you've heard a lot of this stuff from eye contact to, to a vocal intonation, pausing, uh, but also, I would say at the core, when we're delivering an impactful message, does our audience truly believe that you'd rather be nowhere else except right here, right now, talking about this? Because that is critical when it comes to landing a message in somebody else's world. So yes, we do spend a lot of time there. It's, 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 it's crucial when it comes to the world of communication, clearly. Great. I love that. Does the audience truly believe that you'd rather be nowhere else in the world other than right here talking to me? I put a little emphasis on that one. Okay, let's talk about this classic. I'm going to shift the gears here and talk about introverts. All right, so I get asked this question all the time. There's this common belief that if you're more introverted, and that by that I mean people who don't love to be the center of attention or who really prefer quiet or want to have time to think before they stand up, don't really like speaking out loud in a team meeting very often, or certainly hate being on public stage. I've exaggerated that a bit. But the common belief is that introverts are never going to be great speakers or great communicators. You have a very different experience. Tell us about that. 
Yeah, so I would go back to one of the earliest points in my career where I was in a, a, a public speaking competition with a group of people that was funny enough called The Apprentice because that show was popular. Yeah. And my group got to the last round of this competition. It was actually at Bloomberg LP. And uh, we got to this final round, and I had to speak because up to that point, I just, I just was the guy behind the scenes creating the message. And so in this final round, I had to speak, and it was terrifying. Uh, so I decided that I was going to work on speaking, and I, and, I, and I started working with a coach. I joined a group called Toastmasters, and finally we got to the stage, and we gave a really great presentation, and our team won. And as hard as it was, what I found was, wow, even though this is a bit scary, when I step into that vulnerability, when I really can step into that, I have some important things to say. And the interesting thing, Wanda, about introverts, and I'm sure you've heard this before, is that when introverts speak, um, well, when anybody speaks, but especially introverts, it costs them energy. Right? It costs yeah. them something to actually say that out to the world. So when, they, when somebody that's a bit more on the shy side or reserved or maybe a bit more of a natural listener has to say something to a room or a group, uh, they really mean it, and they really make it count. Um, and there's, a, there's some... There's some magic in there. Maybe I got to be careful with that magical word in the corporate world. Um, but I'm going to say it anyway that what I found, and I'm working on this metaphor a bit, Wanda. Tell me what you think. But okay, when we when we come close to something that's really important to us, uh, it can be a bit scary. And, and maybe I'm just a, a big Lord of the Rings fan, but uh, Lord of the Rings and even um, Game of Thrones. I like to think of the metaphor of, of a dragon that protects its treasure, protects its life source. And when, and, and when it comes to public speaking, for some of us, we're getting really close to a very vulnerable place. Uh, and to me, that's a sign that, we're, that, that might be a, there might be a dragon that's protecting something that's really important. And yet, when we can tame that dragon, when we can get to the other side where that treasure is, there's something really valuable there that when we step into that, and when we can speak from that place, wow, it can really impact an audience because you really mean it. Uh, and it requires a bit of vulnerability. It requires uh, a bit of courage. I fully acknowledge that. And, and even now, as a public speaker, I'm doing this all the time. Uh, I led a workshop yesterday up in Maine with a, with a group of veterinarians. Uh, even today, before the podcast, I felt some nerves, right? But when you can recognize those nerves inside you and you can really step into that, uh, there's, there's great power in vulnerability, in appropriate amounts of vulnerability, in the right times, in the right places. And I think for those that are a bit shy and maybe a bit scared of this topic, because a lot of people are, and it's a, it's a question I get all the time that we spend a lot of time on, um, there's something there that when we can step into it, we can make great things happen. We can move mountains, actually. It's interesting. I never thought about it, but I think you're absolutely right that there's anytime you speak, you say something, I'm putting an opinion out in the room. There is a lot of vulnerability attached to that. I might get rejected. I might get ridiculed. You might not like it. You might think you need a number of things. And there's this fear that comes with that vulnerability. But it's the doing it's the working through the vulnerability i think that actually generates the authenticity and i think it's the authenticity that carries you have something really valuable to say 
I think that's what people really yeah. care about hearing. But never thought about it in terms of the vulnerability. I'm not an introvert. I'm an extrovert. So speaking is just sort of fun for me. Now, you know, that comes with a dark side, too. You don't always stop to think about what it is you're saying as carefully as you might need to say. But I'm not as tuned to the vulnerability. So I can appreciate that from an introvert. So. Yeah. Let's go back to your story. Here you are doing this competition. You know, you've managed to work with the team. You're in the final round, and you haven't had to speak yet, and now you've got to speak. So you said you went to Toastmasters, and you work with a coach. Uh, you know, what? Did, tell me a little bit more about what that journey looked like, and what of all of that actually helped you? Yeah, so, so the journey looked like um, a, a great, well, a lot of intention towards wanting to get better at this skill and that skill of public speaking and connecting to a group and stepping into that vulnerability. And it's really important, especially in the early stages for those of us that it doesn't come natural for, to do it in environments and in containers where it's safe and where you can do it with people that can really help you to see your own blind spots. And so mm-hmm. I was a client um, of some of the people that I work with today, 10 years ago, 12 years ago. Uh, and they inspired me to do this work. Uh, but it, it, it was stepping into some of that fear and learning to deliver a message, uh, a message that's relevant but also impactful, like I said before. And so it is absolutely a journey. And to get better at this skill, communication in general, I, I would say you have to really want it. But part of my drive, Wanda, was... Um, you know, what a mentor of mine said years ago, his name is Jim Byrne. He said, Ryan, you know, no, no matter what you do with your life or your career, these skills are going to be the things that differentiate you. So learn how to really listen to somebody. Learn how to speak to a group. You know, learn these quote-unquote soft skills, which actually aren't so soft and they can cost you a lot of money for your business or cost you a relationship. Uh, learn these skills because, well, in my opinion, Wanda, and I've even heard other people say this, for at least the next hundred or so years, robots aren't going to take these skills <laughs> or ability to, to connect with another yes. person. Um, right. They're going to become more and more demand in demand in today's, in today's world that they already are and in our future. The ability to really connect in a relationship and, uh, and inspire an audience uh, to, to, to accept our proposal or our big idea or vision um, and that, for me, was a great driver. As much as it kind of terrified me, I said, I want to work on this. And not only do I want to work on it, I want to help other people get better at it. Because, again, I think everybody has a message they want to share with the world, and the world can be a better place, uh, starting with our direct world, but also our business, our team, uh, and the impact that we can make. That's interesting. One of the things, um, you sort of said this at the beginning, but one of the things I believe the premise of this show is that experts are going to lead and communicate in slightly different ways than non-experts. So you were talking in the beginning about some of your um, technical people in finance and in consulting who can talk about the quantitative and the technical complexity and the you know the mathematical models and the da 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 and they communicate in that content way, but it doesn't always connect. 
And one of the secrets I find stepping away from just being the expert and into a larger space where you're leading teams across spans of expertise, that that requires this more vulnerability. It's a different style of communication, this listening, building trust, connecting, and speaking from that space rather than just from my content knowledge. Let me tell you how smart I am, in effect. Okay, yeah. let's talk for a minute about nerves. So a lot of people say to me that they get really nervous when they're standing up to speak. And it can be a small group and it can be a big auditorium, but they know they have to speak and they've practiced and they've rehearsed what they're going to say and they've thought about the message, but then they just get so nervous. Do you have any advice about dealing with those nerves? Yeah, it's a great question. Thank you. It's one, it's, it's one of the top questions that gets my audience's eyes to really open up and their ears to really listen when we talk about this topic. So a few, um, a few of my big tips on nerves. Number one, I think we all know, but we don't always practice. And so number one would be preparation. And with okay. preparation, it's really preparing our message uh, and practicing that message. So not just going through what I'm going to say in my head and on the notes in front of me, but actually saying it out loud. Because when we say it out loud, we're creating new neural pathways in our brain so that when the big moment arrives, it's that much much easier to relay that message or to give that message. And also when we're really prepared, Wanda, when we really know our message, we can be versatile with that message and we can be focused instead of instead of an internal focus, we can actually be focused on our audience and we can pay attention to them as we're delivering that message. So step one would be would be prep. Um, and at least knowing what is my core message. And if I have time, practicing it. Because uh, like a colleague of mine says, you can, you can rehearse for the first time in front of your audience um, or on your own. It's really up to you. <laughs> so that, that is a huge one. <laughs> and we know we're supposed to do it, but we don't always do it. Another one is uh, what, what some other coaches in the industry call distance. So how can I reduce the distance between myself and the audience? Well... A few months ago when I gave a best man speech uh, for my good friend, I, for instance, before I spoke, made a point to go into, the, uh, go into the, the crowd and go and talk to people and shake hands and connect with as many people as I could to get myself into a more talkative mode. Uh, and I do that in workshops as well, especially when I'm speaking to larger groups. I'll get myself in the group and I'm introducing myself to people. I'm saying hello. And what I'm doing, Wanda, is I'm reducing the distance between myself and them, that I'm not speaking to uh, these machines that are judging me, that actually I'm speaking to an audience of, of human beings, of people that want to see me do well. Uh, and so it's people talking to people. When you can, when you can reduce that, it's a bit of a mindset thing where you, where you realize, you know what, everybody's on my side here, and they want me to do well because if I'm up here struggling, then you're struggling in your seat. So because of these things called mirror neurons, we want to see each other succeed because we catch each other's energy. Okay, so another one. I'm, I'm going to give you two more. Another one is uh, breathing, just really breathing. And sometimes clients hear this and they go, great, I go out of hell. And I'm breathing all the time. What does that mean? Well, it means deep, intentional breathing. And I do an exercise with you, but frankly, we don't have time. But taking deeper, longer, slower breaths, uh, feeling those nerves, feeling those sensations in our body is really important. It helps us to connect with another kind of intelligence that's happening inside of our bodies. 
And uh, even today, again, I was feeling some nerves because I haven't, I haven't been interviewed on a podcast before, and I was feeling some nerves in my body. And what I did with that nervousness is I focused a lot of it on my breathing and on what I was feeling in my body. Because when I'm doing that, then my mind, which can really go on its own journey sometimes, uh, focuses on the attention that, of where I put it. So what's what's the saying? Where where energy goes, energy flows. So where I focus my attention is where I can calm my my body down physiologically. Uh, And it absolutely works. And breathing can really help, especially before the big moments where uh, you know you're going to speak. And you're sitting maybe around the conference table or you're about to get up and give the wedding speech if it's at a really big crowd or or even if it's in a small room and it's high stakes with really important people. Most people, Wanda, I would say, aren't thrilled for when it's their turn to speak and everybody gets quiet and a bunch of eyes are just looking at them, right? Weird things start happening with our body from dry mouth to shaky voices to my body feel like concrete is getting poured into it. It's all pretty normal, and, 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 and most of us, experience that. So breathing can help ground us and to bring that energy to a more calmer place so that when I deliver, I'm delivering with confidence and from a a more connected place. And the the one other, the one other one that I would, that I would throw in there, Wanda is, um, I'll write it on a flip chart sometimes in quotes. Uh, and it's, it's okay. It's okay. Quotes. What does that mean? That actually it's okay that you're feeling these feelings that, The the fact that you're feeling actually nerves is a good sign. It means that you care. That if you didn't feel anything, that this might not be a good thing, actually. that The fact that you care and there's nerves means that it (laughs) matters to you. Right? And and when they interview the most elite-level Olympic athletes, for example, and they ask them, what's going through your mind the moments before, you know, the, the gun shoots or you're about to do this, Take, do this race that you've been training four years for. What's happening inside of you? And what they'll often say is that they're relating to those nerves in a positive way, that they're reminding themselves that the fact that this is happening is a good thing. Now, let me take that energy and center it and use it to my advantage so that I can really connect, at an, whether it's at an athletic level or we're speaking to a room, we have that same power within ourselves. I hope that makes sense. But those are the top tips that I like to give clients, and I seem to get a lot of head nods when I share those things. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense to me. I love this analogy of an elite athlete, which is they look a calm if you're watching them on the TV, but there's anything but calm going on inside of their body. And the need to channel that energy constructively for whatever it is that they're about to do, start the race or whatever it is. I love that idea. So it's okay. So I think this is really important. People often say to me, you know, I get so nervous when I get to speak. And I always say, everybody does. So I'm right. Everybody gets nervous before you speak. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, I would say for most of us, there's very few of us that find that to be a very natural, uh, calming experience. It's, it's a, it feels like a lot of pressure. And, and maybe it is, rightfully so, right? You, have a, you get a lot of attention and power in a room or a group when it's your turn to speak. Yeah. And um, it's completely normal. That. And I remember... You know, uh, going back to Richard, I remember him saying to me, Ryan, remember, nerves are a good thing. It's a good thing that this is happening. Remember that. Because you can really, when you can relate to those nerves differently, it can absolutely change 
and experience as a leader, as a communicator, as somebody in a in an intense or a difficult conversation. Uh, uh, there's great power in it if you use it effectively and, and with integrity. I love that one. And I, the, it is important to remember that it just means it matters. You care. You have something that's important. And you believe the audience will care about it as well. I mean, all of those are just, that's important. So nerves are a good thing. If you don't have those nerves, i convince you're not going to have any passion or commitment or energy yourself. And as you said, that's what's catching. Okay, Ryan, I yeah. can't, you know, we got like three minutes before we're going to close here. We've talked a lot about introverts do you have any advice for those of us that are extroverts who just kind of can't shut up on occasion? I would say practicing, um, really practicing those, some of those basic listening techniques that I mentioned before, um, from maybe, maybe 20%, 30% more to time, practice silence. Let me see if I can really put myself in their shoes. Can I do my best to understand them in their world and, and watch that temptation within myself to jump in and to share and rather let somebody keep going uh, and, and let them keep, let them to continue to tell their story and bring me on their journey because that's what they want. Uh, and so as, as extroverts, which, are, which is its own gift, um, absolutely you can practice that skill. And, yeah. uh, and I think that would help us to, as extroverts, connect even more to our audience when it is our time to speak. Yeah. I do think the hardest part for extroverts is letting silence happen in the room. And especially when it's a business meeting with high stakes, you just feel like, oh, no, this is going to go south right now. Unless somebody says something quickly, I'll jump in. (laughs) That may not be the right thing to do at that moment in time. Yeah. And yet, if you think about one of the best speakers or communicators, they're often very comfortable with with the moments of silence. uh, And they do it very effectively. Yeah. The best adverse advice I heard on this when someone said to me that people speak listen at one eighth the speed at which we speak. I don't know if that's accurate or not. You can clarify me. But just the notion that my listeners can't actually hear what I'm speaking when I'm not giving some silence, some space. So the the, I, I, the way I'll I'll write that Wanda on a flip chart is these two numbers five hundred and one twenty five. So some studies show that we can speak on an average rate of 125 words per minute, but we can process information at a rate of 500 words per minute. So we actually think a lot faster than we speak. So what does that mean? That means there's on average a 375-word gap between what the bandwidth is of what I'm able to process with my mind and you speaking to me. So I have this extra bandwidth happening as you're speaking. So what do I do with that bandwidth? Because uh, that's part of the challenge of staying focused on the speaker, and we all have that. Uh, and that's a lot of what I work with groups on when it comes to the understanding and building trust. Um, but reading, putting myself in their shoes, uh, doing my best to stay connected with them are ways that I can take that extra bandwidth and focus it on them so that, again, I can really connect from an authentic place. It's okay. So a lot of this comes down to being able to control what it is that's going on in my mind, the crazy ways in which my brain can go off on its own somewhere along the line. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. All right. Ryan, we're out of time. This has been a fabulous discussion. My guest today is Ryan Chat. 
Ryan is a communications consultant in New York with GSB Comms US. And as you can tell, with a big belief that communication is more than just thinking about your message. Yes, that's part of it, but it starts deeply with understanding where your audience is actually really coming from and listening, the power of silence. He'll also advocate, as we've been talking about, that anybody can get much better at this, and in fact, quite good at it, I would argue. Nerves are normal. That's just ordinary. And there are tricks that are going to help you along the way improve those nerves. So, Ryan, thanks for being our guest. It's been a pleasure, Wanda. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you. And join us next week for another episode on getting out of your comfort zone. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.